Hello, everyone. Uh, you are tuning in again to The Left Lens. I'm Danny Haifong, and of course, I'm with my co-host, Margaret Kimberly, the wonderful Margaret Kimberly. Um, and we have a special guest today. Yay. It's Dr. Sharice Burden-Stelly. She is an academic. She is quite a prolific scholar. She is doing a lot of work on a topic I hope we can talk a lot about today, which is uh, socialism and its relationship to black politics. And she also is one of the editors of the Black Agenda Review, which is a new feature at blackagendareport.com, which will be coming back with the new issue next Wednesday. But thank you for coming on, uh, Dr. Bird and Steli. And I'd like to kick it to you and, and just talk a little bit about your work, what you're doing, what your focus is, and why it's important. Because right now we are in this uh, big moment of crisis in the United States. There's this debate about $2,000 checks, but uh, even the most progressive wing of the Democratic Party isn't really talking about Black people, isn't really talking about socialism. And it definitely has been falling into this politics of austerity where uh what was demanded, monthly paychecks and uh, right. Medicare for all and all of this has, has mm -hmm. been tampered down despite the fact that the pandemic is raging in the United States and black people are suffering the most from it. And a $600 one-time payment just isn't enough. So Dr. Bird and Steli, what, what do you make of all this? And, and tell us more about your work. Yeah, so revolution, next question. Just kidding. So uh, thank you, you all so much for having me. Um, <laughs> So just to talk about uh, briefly about my work, part of what I, I work on many things, but what I'm focusing on now is the intersections of anti-Blackness, anti-communism and racial capitalism, thinking about how anti-communism is not just sort of a, geop a geopolitics that comes out of the Cold War, but rather is a form, a mode of governance, right? Meant to, to preserve and maintain racial capitalism going all the way back to 1917 but having different sort of um, upticks at different historical moments. So we see it during the convergence of the Palmer Raids and um, the Red Summer of 1919. We see it with the deportation of Marcus Garvey, even though he is not a communist, he was red baited repeatedly. And in fact, his deportation was linked to the rise of the Bureau of Investigation, which became the FBI and the rise of J. Edgar Hoover, who was a notorious red baiter and um, a white supremacist, anti-black racist, in the 1930s, we see it with the, you know, HUOC comes about in the 19, the late 1930s, but was preceded by like the Dyes Committee and the Fish Committee, all of which are not are anti-communist, but part of the ways in which they gauge if one is a communist or not, for example, is if you've ever had a black person in your home and if you believe in interracialism. And so and all, there, all, <clears throat> throughout the manuscript I'm working on, I provide different examples of the convergences of Wall Street imperialism racial capitalism, anti-communism, and anti-blackness, because in the final analysis, I think that all of these things need to be thought together. And the other thing that I do in that particular manuscript is like, I draw on an archive of black socialist, communist, and anti-capitalist thinkers, not least Oliver Cromwell Cox, Harry Haywood, William Patterson, Louise Thompson Patterson, Claudia Jones, et cetera, et cetera. Because to me, these are the early theorists of what we now call racial capitalism, because they were starting with the Negro question. They're starting with the problem of, of, of race relations and white supremacy and the ways that um, capitalism grounds uh, these particular uh, race relations. And so I think this work is relevant for the moment because 
we see red baiting in all of these different forms contemporarily, whether it's this, the attack on quote unquote Antifa, whether it was the, the outside agitator discourse that arose during um, the uprisings in um, Minneapolis and then throughout the country subsequently, um, whether it's, you know, Clybum talking about he don't know no black socialists, um, whether it's, you know, um, Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe um, berating the progressive wing who are not even socialists, mind you, they're Keynesians at best, but they're the progressive ring, wing of the center-right party. And so all of this shows the way that we know socialism, issues of redistribution, issues of just public health and human flourishing are going to be under attack. And of course, it is Black people and racialized people and oppressed people who bear the brunt of this, right? Because it is us who have been historically oppressed and who will therefore benefit the most from um, anything from um, universal health care to a living wage to um, you know universal daycare. All of these social goods that are are essentially red baited and thus deemed anti-American or anathema to like the American project or whatever. And so, essentially, what they're telling us is that you know you have the freedom to die. And if you're black, you can die and suffer. Yeah, I, I you know, it's a funny thing. Uh, this past week, a couple of weeks with the, um, the stimulus bill, which had been negotiated and uh, uh, there's a one-time payment of $600, a mere, I think it's $300 a week for unemployed people for just 10 weeks though. And um, uh, whenever this, issues like this come up, we are told by many people, well, you can't just give give out money. I mean, they give out money, the defense bill is $740 billion or something like that. But when it comes to human need, there's always this argument against it. And it seems pretty clear that um, they want people to disappear. Um, they don't care if you die. Uh, they want a quiet workforce for that little bit of work that is left. We're not even talking about living wage work anymore. We're talking about, I don't know, Amazon fulfillment centers and gig work, mm -hmm. uh, if there is work at all, um, homeless encampments all over the country. But um, uh, at this is a particular moment when we most need to be talking about these things, and uh, the, but the topic has been rendered taboo. Mm -hmm. And um, this party, as you point out, the Democrats are a center-right party, so being leftish in the center-right party doesn't amount to much. Um, but we're supposed to be so happy that Trump is uh, going to be gone. I'm not going to miss Trump. But this is uh, both a, a time of great risk and a time of opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, that we can start talking about things and normalizing uh, things that Americans have been told are just not possible for us. We can't have Medicare for all. We do that some other place, but we can't have that. Mm -hmm. We can't have any of these things that, on the one hand, we're told we're this um, advanced country, this exceptional country, and then it turns out we're just exceptionally bad. So at this moment, and unfortunately, we are still, too many of us are still depending on electoral politics. So we're getting yeah. this change in administration. And what does Joe Biden say? I, he can use an executive order 
to eliminate some student loan debt. And he said, well, I'm probably not going to do it. And um, if you could you talk a little bit about how we how we fight against this, this notion that uh, the normalization of um, austerity, the normalization of precarity on people who will in fact sometimes argue against themselves and argue against their own needs. Yeah, I mean, I think that the first thing to do is to sort of demystify this idea of handouts because alongside, you know, the the bailout of the airlines, um, alongside the money grab of the large corporations from the FERT, from the CARES Act, mm -hmm. I believe that the U.S. government is going to pay $1.2 billion per month um, through the purchase of bonds for the next two years, which amounts to something like $3.2 trillion, something like this. And so when we think about, so it's not that handouts, right? Government money is bad. Government money is just bad for you and me, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I do not like the, the stupid concept of socialism for the rich. It's not socialism for the rich, it's kleptocracy. But what it is, is it's redistribution. It's just redistribution of our wealth up. So right. what we need to do is demystify the idea that, that we shouldn't get anything from the government. Because somebody, people are getting stuff from the government all the time, it's just not us. So that's step one. And part of the ways in which I think that we move toward that demystification is the type of media we consume. And so I think that something like the Black Agenda Report by any means necessary, which I have learned an incredible amount. I mean, I think Margaret Kimberly and Jackie Luckman are like the two, you are the, you all just keep it 100. I've learned a tremendous amount Black as well. Like these are the people we need to be listening to, right? Mm -hmm. These are the people who have the ideas that um, are rooted in, in sort of human flourishing, are rooted in the dismantling of this system for real. And so I think that we need to be mindful of the media that we consume.